All right, so welcome everybody to the first AP Human Geography test review podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Linder. Um, this is the first episode uh, of this podcast, um, depending on how it goes. It might be the last episode, so we'll see how useful it is um, and see how not terrible I am at this. I'd like to give a big thank you to Mr. Patrick Ossel, former math teacher at Stonebridge and now a dean um, at Simpson Middle School uh, for uh, giving me the idea for this. And uh, like I said, hopefully it goes well. So all I'm gonna be doing is kind of running through the study guide for the test, uh, trying to break down some things that might be difficult to understand. Uh, as well as just giving some uh, anecdotes or some ways for you guys to remember some of the terminology on the test. So without further ado, um, let's get started. Uh, the first thing we've got is environmental determinism versus possibilism. Remember, no matter what, whenever human beings are trying to um, establish some sort of residence or do something with land, environment is always limiting you in some capacity. Uh, with possibilism, it's that uh, the environment is just establishing a limit and that human beings are able to use human ingenuity to overcome some of those limits. Uh, you look at skyscrapers, you look at cities like Los Angeles and uh, Las Vegas that have to pipe in water from hundreds of miles away. Um, that Those are examples of possibilism, whereas environmental determinism um, is the idea that pretty much all human behavior is controlled or confined by the physical environment. Um, so you look at how a lot of folk cultures live, especially Native American cultures in the United States. Um, you look at the Native American tribes in the Dakotas and the Great Plains. They're not going to be in big, huge, massive houses that are stationary. They're going to be in teepees that are easy to uh, move around, easy to set up and break down, travel around with their food source, in this case the buffalo. Um, as they, uh, as they follow that, um, that animal around. Um, cartography is simply the art and science of map making. Uh, we looked at a lot of different types of maps. Uh, one map was a cartogram. Um, a cartogram is something that gives me a visual representation of a data set. Uh, a lot of cartograms are looking at population size. And so in the case of a cartogram with population size, it's going to show me countries, um, or the countries that are larger are going to be countries with larger population. Uh, that is not always what a cartogram shows. It doesn't always show population. It can show any data that I want it to, but it, it equates size um, of that data with you know, the, the quantity of whatever that data is that we're looking at, whether it's population, uh, oil, health, um, some sort of health. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, mental map is simply a map in our mind that we use, uh, whether it is um, to give somebody directions or to give somebody a reference point or just for us um, to, uh, to have as a reference point. Um, Isoline maps use lines and sometimes color uh, to delineate data. Um, oftentimes you'll find Isoline maps uh, for temperature ranges um, as well as for elevation going uh, up and down a mountain or looking at um, hills in an area. Uh, the Robinson projection, uh, the way I look at the Robinson projection is it's a super average projection. Um, it's uh, kind of a combination of the Mercator and the Peters projection. Um, so everything is uh, distorted, but it's kind of an average distortion. So the oceans are a little bit distorted, the land's a little bit distorted, but it's kind of an average projection. All right, so our next map projection is the azimuthal projection. 
Um, oftentimes, this is a polar projection, so oftentimes we're looking at it from the perspective of the North Pole or the South Pole. Um, this is a great way to see uh, how close things are in the poles, especially when you're looking at um, places like Canada and Russia, um, how close they come at the North Pole. Um, unfortunately, with azimuthal projection, usually we only get uh, half the globe, usually in this case, again, the, the north, um, northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere. Um, then we've got the fuller projection. Uh, the fuller projection is the one that when you um, lay it out flat, it looks like a bunch of kind of disjointed pieces, but when it's all folded up together, it makes some sort of uh, three-dimensional figure. I can't remember exactly what it folds into, but the fuller projection is good at showing um, uh, land masses, their actual size, their actual shape, but uh, it is completely useless for um, navigation or something like that. Uh, the Mercator projection is the one that's been used for a long, long time and is one that has been criticized for um, establishing north-south biases as well as um, um, distorting uh, land size at the poles, uh, distorting um, how, how large certain things are, especially uh, the size of Greenland versus the size of Africa or South America. Um, Greenland is uh, 14 times smaller than Africa. Africa is, Africa is the second largest continent in the world, uh, but with a Mercator projection, which was made for navigation, um, it drastically distorts those uh, shapes and sizes. <clears throat> the next map is the Good Homolocene projection. Um, it is one that looks like it's divided almost into four segments. Um, the oceans are kind of ripped uh, apart. Um, so again, good for uh, land masses, not great for the ocean. Uh, we've also got the choropleth map, which uses color to delineate a data set. And oftentimes, the darker the color is, that means the more of that object or the more of that data is there um, versus lighter, meaning less of. Uh, same thing with the dot map. Uh, usually, the larger the dot or the more dots, the more of that data or the greater uh, quantity that data is versus the smaller dots or a lesser amount of dots. Um, GPS versus GIS. Uh, GPS, this is giving me the absolute location of something on Earth. And so oftentimes, when we, when I, if I pull up Google Maps, everyone's like, oh, you know, you're pulling up your GPS. Well, yeah, I am, but I'm also pulling up GIS. GPS is the little blue dot that is telling me exactly where I am, what road I'm on, where I'm turning, yada, yada, yada. GIS is the rest of that stuff. Uh, the actual name of the roads, the businesses that are around me, uh, if I have the traffic layer on, um, if I want to put the satellite layer on, all those layering, that layering of data, um, that is all GIS. Um, globalization we're going to talk about in much more detail as we uh, continue on through the course um, of the year. However, for um, you know, our understanding for this test, it is the um, growing interconnectedness of the world through trade, through technology, um, and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, S-curves versus J-curve, and S-curve is going to give me an innovation over time. Um, in class, we talked about something like the adaption of the uh, iPhone, that a bunch of people bought the iPhone when it first came out, and it's still very, very popular, but the growth of iPhone usage has not um, kept growing exponentially uh, because we don't need multiple iPhones. Everyone usually, for the most part, just needs one iPhone. Uh, and then a J-curve is going to give me exponential growth. So an example we looked at with exponential growth is hu the human population of the Earth over time. Um, absolute location versus relative location. Absolute location is site. Relative location is situation. Again, absolute location is giving me the uh, latitude and longitude, um, the street address, something um, that gives me the precise pinpoint of something on Earth. Relative location, I'm giving a comparison. So I'm telling you where other things are 
um, in, in relation to the place that I'm describing. Uh, latitude and longitude, again, give me absolute location. Latitude runs east-west. It is parallel. Um, they are parallel to one another, but they measure how far north or south I am of the equator. Longitude runs north-south, but it is giving me how far east or west I am of the prime meridian. Latitude only goes up to 90 degrees north or 90 degrees south, whereas longitude goes from 0 to 180 when it gets to the uh, international dateline. Uh, scale is simply the relationship between the size of an object on a map and the size of the actual feature on Earth's surface. Remember, with a large-scale map, the number is larger um, in terms of like the ratio on a map legend. But a large scale is zoomed in, it shows me a smaller area. Uh, a small scale map is zoomed out, and it shows me a larger area. Uh, toponyms are just a name given to a portion of Earth's surface. We're gonna talk much more in depth about toponyms later on. Um, again, kind of going with the idea of uh, latitude and longitude. Um, in this case, longitude, talking about how time zones work. Remember, we have 24 hours in a day, therefore we have 24 time zones. Each time zone is 15 degrees of longitude, and that represents one hour. So if I'm counting east, that means I'm going, um, I'm uh, losing time, and if I'm uh, counting west, that means I'm gaining time. It's earlier in the day. Uh, Space-time compression is simply the reduction in the time it takes to diffuse something to a distant place as a result of improved communications and transportation systems. It used to take a long time to get things places. Then we uh, invented um, you know, the steam engine, we put that in a train, we put that in boats, we put that in planes, uh, and now with things like the internet, um, webcaming and all that stuff, uh, especially information, uh, getting information over time and space uh, is instantaneous. Um, our boy Eratosthenes, who was Greek, first uh, coined the term geography, which literally means earth writing. Um, if we're talking about regions, um, a region is a group of places with common characteristics. We talked about three different types of regions, a formal or uniform region, an area in which everyone shares in one or more distinctive characteristics, such as the state of Virginia, the county of Loudoun, the Rocky Mountains, the Sahara Desert, those are all formal regions. A functional or, or sorry, functional or nodal region is organized around a node or focal point. Uh, so we are a part of the Washington D.C. functional region uh, on a smaller scale. We are also a part of the Leesburg functional region. You could also say we're part of the Stonebridge functional region. Then we've got a vernacular or perceptual region. A popular region is named for the way people perceive it. It's uh, based off of individual perceptions and beliefs. So again, talking about the South, there are plenty of people in Virginia, especially in Northern Virginia, that say that they, were, they are Southerners, but there are other people who would not say they are Southerners. And if you're going to compare that to people who live in um, like Alabama or something like that, they would, many of them will probably not say that we are Southerners here in Virginia. So again, it depends on how it's perceived. Um, distance decay and friction of distance going along with uh, Tobler's first law. So Tobler's first law says everything is related to everything else, but closer things are more related than things that are further away. That has to do with the spatial interaction of things and the connectedness of things. Going off of that, we have distance decay, the diminishing in importance and eventual disappearance of a phenomenon with increasing distance from its origin. Think about um, contagious diffusion and how the further away something gets from the hearth, the further away something gets from um, where it was started, where that thing was started, then the less importance it has and eventually it disappears. Uh, and then with friction of distance, a measure of how much absolute distance affects the interaction between two places. Again, 
things that are closer together are going to have more interaction with one another, and things that are farther apart are going to have less interaction with one another. Um, human geography is the branch of the social sciences that deals with wor uh, the world, its people, and their communities, cultures, economies, and interaction with the environment by emphasizing their relations with and across space and place. Um, uh, then uh, types of diffusion. Uh, relocation diffusion is simply the spread of a feature or trend through bodily movement of people from one place to another. This is usually talking about some sort of migration. Again, think about an immigrant family that brings their culture over here. They open up a restaurant or something like that. That would be relocation diffusion of that, um, that family's culture. Then we have expansion diffusion, which is widespread through a population, uh, oftentimes through what we call a snowballing process, like a snowball rolling down a hill. Um, and it breaks down into three subtypes, hierarchical diffusion, contagious diffusion, and stimulus diffusion. So hierarchical is the spread of a feature or trend from one key person or node of authority to power, of power uh, to other persons or places. This could be um, a political leader, it could be a celebrity, um, but it's somebody in power uh, that then spreads that, um, that feature throughout the population. Um, it could be a group in power as well, like uh, colonizers or, or something of that nature. Uh, contagious diffusion, the rapid widespread diffusion of a feature or trend throughout a population. Again, think about like retweeting something or the visual I used in class was um, dropping a, uh, like a rock into a still pond or a still lake and, the, and it ripples out from where that rock entered the, the lake. That would be an example of contagious diffusion. And then stimulus diffusion, the spread of an underlying principle even though a specific characteristic is rejected. So we talked about how cell phones, not everybody um, has a iPhone, but a lot of people have something with the touchscreen um, technology that Apple was one of the first to, um, you know, to, to mass market. Uh, so even though the iPhone didn't get to everybody, the idea of touchscreen did. Um, the other example we used was the Cherokee Native American group. They did not have a written language before English settlers showed up. They didn't adopt English as their written language, but they did, um, uh, they did eventually create a written language that was for their Cherokee language. Uh, lastly, we've got Wallerstein's model of development, Wallerstein's world systems model, which again, we're going to talk about in much more detail, especially in Unit 2. But it basically breaks down into three areas, uh, the core, the periphery and the semi-periphery. So the core is MDCs, more developed countries, that tend to be in um, areas of northern latitudes like the United States, Western Europe, Japan, um, high energy consumption, high education, rights for women, literacy, lots of those things. The periphery, less developed countries, tend to be in the southern hemisphere, especially sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. Usually agricultural societies, not a whole lot of education, not um, a lot of rights, especially voting rights uh, for women. Um, and then we have the semi-periphery, which is kind of in the middle. Um, countries like Brazil, China, South Africa, India, countries where there is some extreme wealth and technology and education, but there are some major, major gaps between the rich and the poor. And so those semi-periphery countries are trying to narrow that gap uh, between the two. Um, so that is the end of our first review podcast. Uh, it was much harder than I thought it would be. Um, we will see how useful it is to you on your tests and whether this becomes a regular feature throughout the course of the year. So thanks for listening.